0: If you would, share with me a sanctified imagination. And I want you to think for a moment of Moses, the prophet of old in the Old Testament. He is walking throughout the camp in the wilderness, tent by tent, checking on his people. Checking on his people in the same way that he did when he was checking on his sheep when he was a shepherd in Midian. This is at a point in which years ago, many of God's people were on the brink of heading into the promised land. They sent in the 12 spies to go and see what the new land would have for them. The 12 spies came back. Two said, yes, we can take it. Let's trust God and let's go. 10 said, there's no way, we can't do it. The people of Israel decided, we're gonna listen to the 10 they had fear and panic in their hearts. They considered killing Moses and Aaron and then raising up some new leaders who will take them back to Egypt. But then God brought judgment upon them for their lack of faith and disobedience. And God said, because of your disobedience, because you are not walking by faith into the new land, I'm now going to sentence you to 40 years in the desert. One year for every one day that the spies were in the land. It had been years since that fateful day at Kadesh Barnea in Numbers 14 when that took place. And here is Moses walking through the camp, checking in on people, seeing how they're doing, getting the daily reports. And what does he hear? Death, death, and more death. You see, God Said that every person 20 years and older at that point in Numbers 14 in Kadesh Barnea would die in the wilderness. And so, for Moses as a leader, all that he saw was just discouraging news after discouraging news after discouraging news. So, what does he do? He goes back to his tent, he gets on his face, and he prays. What does he pray? He prays Psalm 90. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. For the coming weeks, we're doing a sermon series called Messages of Hope. We're in a peculiar time and turbulent time in our nation. With the spread of the virus, the hysterical response of the world, and fear of the future, as your shepherd, I want to point you to Jesus. I want you to fix your eyes upon him as the one whom we go to, not only in times of prosperity, but also in times of hardship. Last week, we looked at Psalm 46 and that in the midst of worst case scenarios, we take refuge in the Lord, that indeed Jesus is is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in time of need. Now, as we look to Psalm 90, we read the prayer of Moses that would turn out to become a song that would be sung by God's people. And it has been sung for thousands of years. When we get to this Psalm, it's amazing that this is the oldest Psalm in the entire book of Psalms. This is the only Psalm written by Moses And what we see here in the text is we see the sovereignty of God, we see the frailty of man, and how God is up to something bigger than we can see. It's a timely word for us in this day and age. Would you look with me in the scripture at Psalm 90, beginning with verse one. Moses writes, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, Before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning In the morning, it sprouts and grows. By evening, it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger, for we are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass away quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands." Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses that points to God's sovereignty and man's frailty and our desperate need for God. As we are, as a nation, are facing the panic of this virus and the chaos that takes place amongst grocery stores and gas stations and hospitals, Westwood, let's learn from this Psalm of Moses. I want you to see these three principles right here in the text. The first is this. Let's remember God's character. Let's remember God's character. In Psalm 90, Moses recounts of God's faithfulness to his people throughout the ages. The Lord has been a refuge for his people, verse one, in every generation. The Lord has been the one who has protected his people. The the Lord has been the one who has provided for his people. The Lord has been the one who has sustained his people. Now remember, as Moses pens this prayer, the people of Israel at this point, they didn't have a home. They didn't have a land that they could call their own. They were like tumbleweed that was just being blown through the desert because of their disobedience in Numbers 14 at Kadesh Barnea. And yet Moses declares, God, you are our home. Verse one, you have been our refuge. Moses reiterates this again towards the end of his life when he tells the people of Israel, Deuteronomy 33:27, the eternal God is your dwelling place. Westwood, let's continue to remind one another over and over again, God is your refuge. He is the one that you run to and you remain with in times of prosperity and in times of hardship. Moses begins his prayer by remembering the character of God who is verse one, a refuge for his people and he is the creator of the world. Look at verse two. He says, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world. You see, the Lord is the one who made the mountains and the oceans, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Every constellation, every corner of the galaxy, every star belongs to him. Moses is exalting God as the creator who made the mountains and made the earth. One of the things my family really enjoys doing is going hiking and mountain biking. And this just this week, Chris and I we were telling one another just how beautiful Alabama is, and there is so much to see. This week, our family was walking through a meadow together, and I looked across what looked like a savanna of pure beauty, and I just worshipped the Lord. My heart soared in worship of the God who made all that is seen and unseen. In fact, you and I, we can simply go outside and look up, and we can see the work of God, and we can worship. When we look up and see the sun and the clouds, the, the stars and the moon, we see all that God has made. David said it like this in Psalm 19 verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day by day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. You and I, we get to revel. We get to exult in the God who made everything that we can see. He is the creator and the creator. And the sustainer of all things. Indeed, he is Hebrews 1.3. Jesus is the one who sustains the universe by the word of his power. And as we see here in verse 2, that this God whom we run to in times of trouble, this God who is our refuge from generation to generation, he is the creator of all things. But what we also see there in the text is not only is he the creator of all things, he is the eternal God. He is the one who has always existed. We see it right here in the text. Moses is referencing his eternal nature that goes back, verse two, before the mountains were born, before he made the world. He is the eternal God. Verse two, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You see, God is from everlasting to everlasting it means that he's always existed. There's never been a point in which God did not exist. He has always been. From eternity past into eternity future, he has no beginning. He has no end. The one God who reveals himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, has always existed in our finite minds, we have a hard time understanding that. We think everything has a beginning, but not God. He has always existed, and there has never been a point in which he did not already exist. He is the eternal God, and he is, verse two, from eternity to eternity, He's the eternal sovereign God who is seated on his throne. He is high and exalted and he alone is God and he is unchanging. And 2,000 years ago, this eternal God, he took on flesh and blood to become just like one of us. Jesus, the eternal son of God, identified with us. And he came for one purpose. And that's to reconcile man back into a right relationship with God. The eternal God who has always existed sends his son into time, into space, takes on human flesh, lives a perfect life that we couldn't live, goes to the cross, where there he gives his life, where his blood is shed, and he makes a way for anybody who turns away from sin and trusts in Jesus by faith, you are reconciled to God. You are brought back into a right relationship with him. Indeed, this Jesus is not some weak Jesus, because the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the eternal God who has come so that you and I might have eternal life. So what is it that you were anxious about? What is it that you're worried and so fearful of? The God who is your refuge is the eternal God. He is, verse two, from everlasting to everlasting He is the one who knows you and loves you and calls you by name. He is the one who is never caught off guard. He is the one who is never wringing his hands over the economic concerns of the nation. He's not the one who's worried about the future. Westwood, we are trusting our souls to Him who loves us and cares for us. He is the eternal God. And so, as we look at verses one and two, we stare at the character of God and we see Him for who He is. And so, as you and I, as we navigate these turbulent times, as we have no idea what tomorrow holds, much less next week or next month, let's heed the words of our sister, Corey Tinboom and when she said never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known god you don't have to be scared or afraid beloved if you are in Christ you keep your eyes fixed upon the unchanging Jesus the author and the perfecter of your faith we fix our eyes upon him let's stare at his character in this time of turbulence and craziness and panic in our world, let's fix our eyes upon Jesus. Let's remember his character. Secondly, what we see here in the text is let's remember life is short. Life is short. Moses prays verse 3, You return mankind to the dust, saying, Return descendants of Adam. Moses is pointing back to Genesis chapter two, verse seven, where it says, then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. You see, God made man from the dust of the ground and when we die, we return to dust. Yet note who is returning mankind to the dust. It's God. Moses prays, verse three, you return man to the dust. Verse five, you end their lives. You see, God is the one who gives life and God is the one who takes it away. And what does Job do after the death of his 10 children? He declares, Job chapter one, verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord has given And the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, what we see here in the text is that life is indeed short. We've got a temporary amount of time here on this earth. And one thing that this virus is doing is that it is reminding us how temporary we are. We have a very short shelf life until we die. That's what we see here in the text. We are like grass, look at verse five, that grows and sprouts in the morning, but by evening dries up and withers. James chapter four, verse 14 says, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You see, one of the millions of things the Lord is doing through this crisis is he is removing that thin veneer of self-sufficiency he is removing this idea that you and I have control over anything. Ultimately, we don't. The Lord is the one who is in control. We were made from dust and we will return to the dust. Moses, he was familiar with this. He saw it as an entire generation of Israelites died in the wilderness. You see, their death was due as a consequence for their sin. And the same is true for you. For we will all be brought to an end, verse six. Our physical bodies will wear out by the effects of God's judgment on sin. In Romans chapter five, verse 12, Paul says, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, sin is like a virus in which all of us have been infected. All of us have inherited it through our first parents through their disobedience in the garden. And Adam's sin affects every person because we all sinned in Adam. We all have turned our hearts away from the Lord. And because of Adam's sin, death comes to everyone. And because of our sin, we will all die. And you realize this? There is no way you can hide your private secret sins from God. Look right there at verse 8. Even all of our secret sins will be brought to light in his presence. And then after years of struggle, after years of sorrow, man's life comes to an end. Look at verse 9 like a sigh for some of us we get to live into our 70s maybe for strong into our 80s and then verse 10 our soul flies away boy kenneth are you are you trying to encourage us <laughs> i give you the bad news because it's only in light of the bad news does the good news make sense it's only in understanding how bad our situation is we realize how precious Jesus truly is. Can you imagine if a stranger came running up to you with a bottle of medicine and just shoved it in your face and said, quick, drink all of this. I'm not sure how you'd respond, but I'd probably scoff at him and say, man, okay, you need to back off. But if someone approached you and said, death is coming and your only way of being rescued is drinking this medicine, take it. Well, I think all of us would grab hold of it and we would drink it dry. Well, you see the scriptures point us to this reality that death is coming. Because of sin, Moses points to death is coming for us all. We are like grass. We grow, we sprout, but then we wither and we die. And there's gotta be some tonic. There has to be some sort of medication that can save us from this. What can save us from death? Well, the Bible points us to the ultimate answer, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the one who has made a way for you to be rescued from sin and death. And the way that he did it, the way that he rescues you from death is by taking death for you. At the cross. Jesus goes and he dies so that you don't have to. He makes a way through his Death on the cross through his broken body for you to be rescued and redeemed. This is the hope of the gospel, is that those who trust in Jesus, we are rescued, we are saved. You see, we see here in the text, we're given a brief 70, 80 years, verse 10, and then we die, and then it's over, and then we return to the dust as descendants of Adam. But Westwood, the best news of all is there is a second Adam. The first Adam brought death. The second Adam brings life. The first Adam brought sin and sickness into the world. But the second Adam, he is the medicine and he is the cure for sin and death. You see, Jesus is the second Adam who died for sin and rose again and offers eternal life to all who trust in him. And even though you physically may die, spiritually, you live forever. Jesus says in John eleven twenty six, 26, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And so I ask you this morning, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus came and made a way through his death and resurrection for you to find life? Are you banking your soul upon Jesus? If not this morning, come to Christ. Believe the gospel, trust in him. He has made a way through his death and through his resurrection to give you life. That though physically you and I will die, we will return to dust. Yet Jesus will make us more alive. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That when you take your last breath, once your body is laid into the ground, your body decays, you're not there. You are with Christ and you are alive in him. And you know what? There's coming a day in which Jesus will come back for his church. The trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. Our bodies, our bones that have been put in the dust will come forth through the dust. We will go and be with the Lord. We will receive a new body that will not get sick. It will not decay. It will not die. It will never sin. We will be with the Lord. We'll have a perfection about us because we will be with Christ. Do you see how precious Jesus is? You need Jesus. He is the medicine. He is the tonic that rescues you from sin, death, hell, and the grave. Believe the gospel. Trust in Christ. Why? Because time is short. It's running out. The the clock is ticking. You've only got so much time left until you fly away until you take your last breath. Grab hold of this gospel. Believe upon Jesus. This is what we bank our hearts and our lives upon. Jesus, he is our rescuer. And he is the one who gives us purpose in the midst of life. But because life is short, let's number three, let's remember to redeem the time. Moses prays verse 12 Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Moses is praying, teach me, Lord. Remind me, I only have a certain number of days left. I've only got so much time left until I'm launched into eternity. David prayed this in Psalm 39, verse four. Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. Beloved, if you wanna be effective for the Lord, you need to keep eternity on the forefront of your mind and heart. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, that the Lord has put eternity in the hearts of mankind. You see, we suppress that reality with sin, with being distracted by the world. Satan does not want you thinking about eternal things. But you see, you were made for eternity and it matters. And so we are to be thinking not just what do the next several weeks, months, years have in front of us, but what the next 10 billion years look like. How can I prepare for those days now in this life here? It's funny, once you understand that you've only got so much time left, it cuts through all of the foolishness, the immaturity, the cotton candy of this world, You start realizing how frivolous and silly some things are in this world and you're not even bothered by them anymore because you see, I've only got a certain time left. I wanna redeem the time that the Lord gives me life and breath. For this brief window of time that I'm here on this earth, that God has given to me to live for his glory. I wanna get caught up in the silly, trivial things of this world. I wanna fix my eyes upon Jesus and I'm gonna go hard after him what we see here is Moses lays out for us how we can redeem the time. You see, you give your time to God and then you let him work through you. What do we mean? Well, if you look at verse 14, you want to redeem the time, give your mornings to God. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Why? So that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. So you give your mornings to God and say, God, here's my morning. I'm starting my day at your feet. But then you also give your days to God. Look at verse 15. He says, make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us. And then you give your years to God. Verse 15, make us rejoice for as many years as we have seen adversity. Moses then prays for God's work to be seen through his people and his splendor to be seen by their children, that future generations would see the glory and the power of the Lord. And then he gets to the heart of the matter of our response. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be on us, established. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Moses is asking for God's blessing. He's asking for God's favor to be upon his people. Westwood, let's seek the Lord. Let's give him our mornings. Let's give him our days. Let's give him our years. For however many he has ordained for us to live, let's give them to him and ask for his favor and his blessing because we have gospel work to do. We have nations and neighbors who are in desperate need of Jesus. We have, verse 17, a good work in which we need God's favor. We need God's blessing. But we find that when we make much of Jesus, when we make him central in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives, we see when he is high and exalted, he will draw all men to himself. Westwood, we've got work to do. May the good works that we do moving forward be those in which we point as many people as possible to Jesus for while we still have life and breath. What this virus is doing, it's reminding us not only do we not have control, it's reminding us we only have a certain amount of time. You and I only have so much time until we are launched into eternity to be with Christ. So let's make sure that during this time that we redeem the time and we use what God has given to us this time right now to impact our world for Jesus. Indeed, what we see from verses 16 and 17 is the impact points, the challenge I wanna place before you. It's this, entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. We even see it back there in, in the text where Your creator, verse two, he sent his son for you so that you might entrust your soul to him. And as you entrust your soul to King Jesus, verse 17, we get to work doing good for his glory. We're not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but rather we have faith and we're saved. We're banking our souls upon Jesus, but we have this gospel hope inside of us. And so we get to work. We are resting in Christ. He is our salvation. We don't do good works to earn salvation. We do good works because we already have it. Jesus has graciously, freely done all the work necessary for salvation, so we are trusting and banking on his work at the cross, his work through his resurrection, his work through his ascension back up into heaven. We're banking our souls upon him and what he has done for us, and yet the grace that not only saved us now motivates us to go and do good for his glory. We point people to Jesus. We hold fast to this gospel, and we have a gospel work to do, Westwood. And so now here we sit at this time. It's chaotic. It's crazy. The world around us. What do we do? Let's remember the character of God. Let's remember life is short. And let's remember to redeem the time. Because we have a gospel that changes everything for anyone who trusts in Jesus alone.